Tonight, we're gonna look at a man who interacts with Jesus, and he's a man that is really similar to all of you guys. And I know I don't know all of you that well yet, and I definitely don't know everyone in the room, but I actually don't have to know you that well to know something that's true about you. Because it's true about me, and it's true of literally every person I have ever met, especially college students. And that truth is this, that there is something in your life right now, like you feel like is your greatest need. Like I have to have this thing, right? I mean, we all have it. Something right now that you feel is just this intense craving or desire. It's the thing that like keeps you up at night. It's the thing your mind drifts to. What do you feel like you just have to have what you need to be happy? And I'm not talking about like surface level needs, like, oh, I gotta eat dinner tonight or freshman this last week. I need to find my classes. I saw you guys out there. Bright blue lanyard still on, GPS right here all over campus, all right? It's not that big, you can figure it out. And if you're a freshman, like pro tip, take the lanyard off. I don't know if you're still wearing that. It's been a week, you guys don't need a big flashing arrow over you, all right? Take the lanyard off, this is your graduation ceremony. All right, so I'm not talking about needs like that, like needs for dinner. I'm actually talking about a lot more serious needs. I'm talking about the needs of your life in your heart that you barely have the words for because they're so strong. I'm talking about the needs at the core of your life that drive your decisions and make you who you are. Needs like things to heal from the voices of your friends growing up who told you you weren't pretty enough or athletic enough or good looking and now you spend hours in the mirror or at the gym sculpting the body or the face that you wish you had the need to be attractive, the need to be approved of. Because the needs I'm talking about are ones like the explicit or implied pressure from you or your parents that has created a belief in you that you are only as valuable as your achievements. And so you stress over school and you study for hours. And your anxiety around tests has far less to do with the content of the tests and far more to do with proving your value and your worth to yourself and your family. I'm talking about those deep needs. Needs that maybe you haven't even voiced to any other person, but you know are there. Now, I don't know what you think your greatest need is tonight or what you think you need to do to get it, but I actually think that the Bible has something to say to each and every one of us. And I don't think it's an accident that you're here tonight because our story is about a man who had an incredible need and a desperate desire for Jesus to do something about it. And as we look at this man's life and as we look at his interaction with Jesus, we get to see how Jesus responds to our greatest needs and desires. All right, that is our question for tonight. How does Jesus respond to the greatest needs in our life? Look with me at Mark chapter two. I'm gonna read the story and then we're gonna talk about it. Mark chapter two, verse one. It says, and when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes and the Pharisees were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? 
He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they got questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. All right, so what's going on here? Jesus had left Capernaum, right? This is kind of the place. This is kind of like his home base for some ministry. A couple of his disciples lived here. So he hung out here. He performed miracles here and he was home. And the news had basically spread throughout the whole town. So the place like immediately when Jesus came back, they were just like flooding this place. It was so packed, probably super hot. Like it is in here right now. I am like roasting up here. How are you guys doing? Is it hot? Yeah, it's hot. All right, we'll fix it for next week. We're a new ministry. But anyway, all these people were packing in to hear Jesus. And because the last time he was there, Jesus had done some incredible things. You guys, he had healed people of diseases. He had performed various miracles. He was like casting demons out of people. And after Jesus had been to Capernaum, that city was never the same. So yes, it was a big deal when Jesus came back. But Jesus, he wasn't performing miracles at this time. He was actually preaching the Bible and yet no one left. Whatever he was saying, however he was explaining the scriptures was so engaging, so like attractional to people that they just couldn't leave and more and more people kept flocking so there was no more room. This place was packed out. And then a group of guys enters the scene. And what did it say about them? Verse three, it said, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. All right, so we've got these four dudes and they roll up and they're carrying their friend on this kind of like bed or mat thing that paralyzed people would have laid on to beg from. And they like pull him up like, hey man, maybe, maybe this Jesus guy is the solution. And they get there and the crowd is spilling out. They're like, oh, no way. We're too late. So maybe, I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe they went to the back and checked if it was like free there, but no, they couldn't budge their way at all. And you can kind of feel the disappointment of the paralytic, right? I mean, think about it. You literally cannot walk. And you begin to hear stories and rumors of this super powerful man that can heal people. Other people who are like you are walking and you're like, maybe this is my shot. And then you show up and you can't even get to him. All right, and so the whole purpose of this trip was just to get this man to Jesus, but the crowd wouldn't part. And so, all right, desperate times, desperate measures, right? These friends get creative. And side note, if you don't have friends like these friends, y'all need to get some new friends that are willing to dig through a roof for you, all right? I don't know how that conversation went down. Like, oh man, we can't get to Jesus, All right, through the roof it is. Like, that seems like a huge leap, right? They're just gonna mess up this person's house. But these guys were like, no, we gotta get this guy to Jesus. All right, so we're going. So they like climb up, they hoist their friend up and they literally start digging through the roof. All right, and these roofs, they were a little bit different back then than they are now. It probably just would have been like some sticks and some hay and some melted clay or something like that. But nonetheless, these guys are just going for it. 
Which if you think about it for a minute, if you're in the house, you totally know something's going on up there, right? Like there's dirt falling, like what are those footsteps? So I don't know what they thought was gonna happen, but they keep digging. And to dig a hole big enough for a whole body to come down, like that could not have been a short experience. Like the people in the bottom were probably just like waiting for it. Like I wonder how long it's gonna take. So, but anyway, they were like desperate to get to Jesus. All right, and this was a gutsy move for them right? Like this was way out of the box. First of all, they had destroyed someone's house. Second of all, they interrupted a famous teacher and barged in front of entire crowd of important people, all so that they could just lower this man down to the feet of Jesus. All right. And I love that he doesn't even say anything, right? Like he's just kind of like, you know, waiting for Jesus. What is he going to do? He doesn't ask for anything. He doesn't tell him why he's there. He's just kind of like lowered at the feet of Jesus. And you can kind of like feel the friends holding their breath, right? Like, what's he going to do? Is he going to heal him? Is this going to work? And if you're the paralytic on the ground, you're like heart is racing. You're a little bit sweaty. Might not be hard to imagine right now, but you're a little bit sweaty and you're like looking at Jesus. Oh no, like all these people, is this going to be worth it? And how does Jesus respond? Look at verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. He says, your sins are forgiven, which is kind of a weird response. All right, can we just acknowledge that for a minute? Like the dude said nothing about forgiveness. He was there to be healed. Like the dude wanted to walk again. This is like the original Jesus juke to get into a spiritual conversation. Like this dude is here to get healed. And Jesus is like, son, your sins are forgiven. All right, so what's going on? Did Jesus like just totally misread this moment? There's something you all need to know about how society viewed people like this man with physical disabilities or illnesses in that time. People like him, people with physical disabilities, they couldn't get jobs. They were ceremonially unclean. No one could even touch them without having to go get cleansed. They were outcasts in society. They were looked upon as dirty and most likely his only hope to even survive was to lay on the side of the road or in front of the temple and beg for scraps of food and small amounts of money. But more than that, and here's where it comes in, more than that, it was a common belief that the reason somebody was physically suffering was because they were guilty of some sin and God was punishing them. Every single person that was on the side of the road, people would look at them and think, guilty, I wonder what they must have done. They must be a terrible person if God is doing this to them. And I know that this man believed that about himself. Now, I don't know how long he'd been paralyzed, if he was born with it or it happened later in life, but I'm sure he was well aware of this belief. As every day when people walked by, he saw the disapproving glances and heard the whispers, I wonder what he did. Look at him, mom. That's one of those sinners, right? For a person like him, the idea of feeling guilty and the belief that he is sinner would not have been just a belief, but an identity. It would have defined who he is. Now, the Bible makes it totally clear that having some form of physical disability or suffering does not automatically mean that you are being punished by God, all right? So do not believe that. But that doesn't mean that this man had no sin. Actually, the opposite. This man, like every single person, like you and like me, 
had absolutely done things that are contrary to the perfect commands of God. That's just what's true. And though his physical disability was not necessarily a direct correlation to that, it did help him acutely understand that reality better than probably anyone else in that day. And that's why Jesus's words to this man are so profound. After a whole life of hearing you are guilty, you are rejected, you are condemned, Jesus looked at him and says, no, you are forgiven. I'm speaking something different over you. That's not true. I forgive you. This man knew that day that his greatest need was not just a physical healing, but a new spiritual reality. And Jesus knew that too. This man knew that if I don't get my sins forgiven, he would have thought that he was a sinner. He's like, if I don't get my sins forgiven, I'm gonna suffer not just in this life, but in the next life to come. I have to get forgiven. I have to get right with God or my suffering is gonna be way worse when I die. And so for Jesus to look him in the eye and say, son, your sins are forgiven is radically changing for him. It was an amazing moment. All right, but not everyone who was there like this. Look at verse six real quick. It says, now some of the scribes and Pharisees were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? All right, so we've got a new set of people here, the scribes and the Pharisees. These are like the religious leaders of the day, the pastors, the spiritual authorities. And they were like, no way. Jesus, you are saying, yeah, I forgive you like you have the same authority of God. That's simply not true. And they accused him of blasphemy. And blasphemy is just speaking offensively and inaccurately about God, which in their circle was punishable by death. So these guys were angry. They were like, no way. Jesus is saying he is equal with God. Not true. And so they're kind of like angry. They're thinking about this. But I love, they haven't said anything yet, right? They haven't said a thing out loud. All of this is going on in their minds, in their heart, which makes Jesus's next words to them freaking baller. Look at it. Number eight, verse eight, not number eight. I've read my Bible before. And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. All right, you don't have to say things out loud for Jesus to hear them. He knows your thoughts, he knows your heart, and he knew theirs too. And he called them out, all right? So Jesus was absolutely claiming to be God, And now he was about to prove that he was. And he asked them by doing that, this like really confusing question. He asked them, hey, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Basically, he's asking, which of those things is easier to prove? Well, clearly it's easier to say that someone's sins are forgiven because there's no physical proof of that in the moment. But here's the thing. We all know Jesus's words are not normal words. Jesus's words don't just make a sound, they create reality. When Jesus says something, it's not just a phrase, it's a promise. And so that everyone would know that he actually, in fact, did have the authority to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. 
What an understatement. You guys, this is incredible. What Jesus claimed with his mouth, he now proved with a miracle. Now the crowd that this dude couldn't even get through before is like opening wide for him to walk through. And I'm sure him and his buddies, you guys, if this happened, I would be losing my mind. Like they're probably jumping off the roof and like high-fiving and chest bumping and all this stuff. And you know, they didn't go fix the hole in the roof. No, they left that there for someone else to do it. Like these guys are going back into town to party, right? Like this is amazing. He is forgiven of his sins. He's healed of his disease. And this is like the greatest thing that has ever gone down. Jesus was good for it. They had heard stories and rumors of a man that could heal. And what was a hope that maybe it might be true turned out to be a reality. Jesus was the real deal. This is an incredible story. And Salt Company, our lives are not that different from the paralytic. In fact, I think there are two things that we have to see about his life in order to understand our own. And the first is this, like the paralytic, the greatest problem in our life is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. The greatest problem in our life is not a physical problem. It is a spiritual problem. I don't know what came to your mind earlier, when I asked you to think of your greatest need, but for the man in the story, he just wanted to walk. He wanted to be healed. And maybe your greatest desire tonight is just, I just don't wanna be lonely, or I want my sick parent to be healed or to find love or whatever it is. And I'm telling you, those are real problems, but they are only symptoms of a greater problem that faces each and every one of us. The greater problem is the fact that we live in a world that is fractured and broken from the original design that it was supposed to be. And the world is like this because of sin. You see, the world God created at the beginning of the Bible, it was perfect. It was good. There was no sickness. There was no dying. There was no cancer. There was no killing. There was no disappointment. There was no war. There was nothing evil. It was good and perfect. And so were the humans that lived in this creation. But even in the midst of all that perfection, humanity decided to disobey God, reject his design for their lives. And in doing so, they subjected the entire world to brokenness. That's the world we live in today. And we are all a part of this reality. And in fact, this reality that sin has entered into the world has affected each and every one of us in such a deep way that we find ourselves in the exact predicament of the paralytic. We too are sinful. None of us are perfect. We have all messed up in some way. All of us, myself included, have thought, believed, and done things that are wrong and evil in the sight of God. And like the paralytic, we need to be forgiven of those sins if we are ever going to be right with God. But that was not the end of his story. And that is not the end of ours either. Because the second thing we need to see is that like the paralytic, the only thing that can bring total healing and forgiveness in our lives is faith in Jesus. You guys, how this man gets saved in the story is actually incredible, right? First of all, his friends do literally all of the work. They bring him there, they dig through the roof, they lower him down. He doesn't even say anything to Jesus. 
Second, he's like a passive recipient of everything that goes on in this, in this like story. The way he got saved, the way he got forgiveness, it wasn't reading his Bible more. It wasn't going to church more. It wasn't going through some class. It wasn't getting baptized. No, the way he got saved, the only thing he does is come to Jesus totally broken, totally in need, and desperate for Jesus to save him. And Jesus forgives and heals. Saul Company, it's that simple. That is the entire message of the Bible and the sustenance of what we believe as Christians, that faith in Jesus alone is the thing that saves us. You see, on that day, Jesus proved to that man that he had authority to forgive his sins by healing his paralysis. But now Christ has proved himself by dying on the cross for your sins. And he doesn't just take your guilt away. He takes it on himself as if it were his own. He pays the price for our sin and disobedience. And now he offers you forgiveness because Jesus did not stay dead. Three days later, he came back to life and defeated our greatest enemy, death. Saul Company, hear me. Jesus is the only person who we can trust to meet our needs. And we can be sure of that because he has already taken care of your greatest need, forgiveness before a holy God. Guys, imagine how that paralytic felt that day. Walking in, not walking in, getting walked in. Guilty, a sinner, desperately needing something. Can you imagine walking out of there, the freedom, the joy that he felt after an encounter with Jesus, knowing that his sins were forgiven and his life would never be the same. My question for you is, have you had that same moment with Jesus? Have you had a moment in your life where you came to Jesus and acknowledged your need and acknowledged your brokenness and say, Jesus, forgive me. Can you imagine what it would feel like to know that every single thing you've done wrong is just forgiven? To be in relationship with God again, for Jesus to come and help transform you to look more and more like him. You guys, this feeling is not a story for this man a long time ago. It's a story for you. But you guys, I'm telling you, there are people in this room that you have not had that moment yet. And I would invite you, make tonight that moment. Grab me, grab Sophie, grab another leader in these, shir- in these shirts. Talk to them about what it looks like to have forgiveness and Jesus. And guys, might you run out of this garage door tonight, free from your sin and joyful with the relationship you have with God. Guys, every single week at Salt Company, we're gonna open up the Bible and we're gonna hear from Jesus. And my prayer for all of us is that we would continue to know who God is and to walk with him every day. Will you guys pray with me?